Lonely song, the song's for you. I'd like to speak to you about a subject that is very difficult in the work, and it's difficult not because it's a difficult idea in the work. What makes it difficult is us. And the more you observe yourself and the more you study this work and the more you practice this work, you will find that the work is very, very simple, straightforward, and easy. What makes anything difficult is how we take it and what we do with it. A master has said, we are like children who eat poison, get a stomach ache, and cry for more. At first, this is very difficult to understand. Well, how do we eat poison? And what does it mean that we're eating poison and then we get a stomach ache and we cry for more? It means that the very thing that causes us pain is the thing that we crave and the thing that we cling to and the thing that we continually repeat again and again and again. So speaking of poison, it seems like a very strong word to some people, like, oh, well, that's just too strong. It's not really like that. But honestly, it is in every way like that. And so what I'm going to try and do is I'm going to try and tell you what the work teaches and how it can be applied to our daily ordinary lives and how we can use that, the application of these work ideas, to transform meaning in our lives and then transform our being through that new meaning, new understanding, and the new light and force that comes from that. Food poisoning is vicious. Anyone who's ever had it knows that. And we have a listener right now who I remember one time, it was many years ago, we were going on a trip and we stopped off at a, a Mexican food restaurant in town and he had, uh, I don't remember what it was, it looked like a big flying saucer, tortilla, toasted tortilla with all this stuff piled on it. And he had that. And I think it was probably that night it hit him. And the whole time he was eating it, he was off guard. He had no idea there was anything wrong with it at all. Nothing. And it wasn't until that evening, a day later, that it hit him. And he was so violently ill that night, he kept all of us up praying to the porcelain god in the bathroom. And you know what that is, don't you? When you pray to the porcelain god, you lean over the toilet and you go, oh god, oh god. And so we all stayed up listening to that all night. It was awful. But of course, it was worse for him. So the thing is, is you don't see it coming. It looks like good food. It tastes like good food. It smells like good food. There's just nothing in it that would make you believe that it's poisonous. And yet there's poison in it. And it made him incredibly ill. If you've ever had food poisoning, you don't ever want it again. How difficult it is for us to see how much we love, how much we crave, how addicted we are to poison, the poison that makes us ill and in the end actually takes our lives. We just can't get our minds around that. It's like, no, this couldn't be that way. And yet we do know in small doses, in small areas, we do know that many of the things that we put into our bodies are poison, but we keep taking them at such small amounts that we think it won't do any harm. We're just like heavy metals in the body. Over a lifetime, you can collect enough heavy metals in your body to kill you. Most people don't know that. They just keep on accumulating it, little here, little there, until finally it becomes deadly. I think that this is a good analogy because food attracts and holds our attention. Now, as we are, we have no force to direct our attention. We think we do. We imagine that we do. But the work tells us very clearly that we do not, that we don't know how to think. What we call thinking is not thinking at all. It's associating. It's the mind bouncing from one thing to another without any control on our part. As I've said before, just think about what it's like if you get a song stuck in your head. It stays there whether you want it to stay there or not, and it's very difficult to get rid of. So this is the same kind of thing. Our attention is attracted, and we have no force to direct our attention because it's all captured by outer events. 
something gets your attention. It can take you away from something outside of you, some noise, some sound, some song, some person outside of you, some event can draw you out of yourself. How many people have sat down to meditate and then all of a sudden they find themselves in the kitchen or the living room doing something that they never intended to do because while they were sitting there meditating, some thought came, attracted their attention and made them get up and go do something other than what they sat down to do in the first place. If you haven't had that experience, try meditating. You will. Now, as I said, this lack of force that we have so that we can't direct our attention makes it impossible for us to do directed thinking. And so what we do instead of directed thinking is a matter of imagination. It's not directed, but we imagine that we are thinking. We can imagine a life to which there is no end. We know that we must all die and we imagine it in a far-off future. It's something that's kind of misty and cloudy for us. It's like if someone were to say to you, you know, nobody gets out of this life alive, you go, yeah, I know, but yet your death is not something that is available to you on a daily basis. It's something that you have pushed away somewhere in your mind, which is exactly why Gurdjieff gave the exercise about the final hour, because it is so potent, because it is so full of meaning, and because doing that practicing that final hour exercise that well, actually we've talked about before but it hasn't come out as a podcast yet so you really don't know about that but i have done a podcast a light podcast on the talk that he gave the final hour and you're welcome to go find that in the light podcast and listen to that you'll have an idea about what i'm talking about and again this is another thing about the work you have to do this you know if you're not willing to put forth the effort if you don't have the valuation to put forth the effort to go and find this to seek this out to dig it up then you're not worthy of it quite frankly anyone who puts his hand on the plowshare and then looks back is not worthy of the kingdom it's not fit for the kingdom this is self-development you must develop yourself people don't like that but this isn't really about what people like or what people don't like this is about transformation the transformation of your being from this acquired personality this acquired false personality this false self into your real meaning your real purpose your real destiny your real i we don't know what that is especially but what the work tells us is that what we are now is not what it is so it's not that so it's almost a process of elimination we start to remove what isn't what isn't what isn't until we find what's left you were asked somebody well what is your real eye like if they tell you what the real eye is like then i guarantee you they are in imagination they do not because they don't know but if they say i don't know all i know is that i have a lot of stuff to clear away and that underneath all of that i'm sure it'll be there like when they had that big earthquake in mexico city and hundreds and thousands of people were buried under tons of rubble and the searchers the rescue workers were working day and night 24/7 to dig these people out trying to get air down to them trying to get light down to them trying to get to them before they died and it was a huge international effort and for us it's the same thing except the huge international effort is you you have to make the effort you have to dig down and find buried conscience and find real eye and that's not an easy task if it were an easy task everyone would do it you look around at the world you'll see that everyone is not doing it not only are people not doing it people are doing the exact opposite they imagine that they're doing it and they're selling themselves to the world and what that means esoterically is they are wicked anyone who is completely attached to the world and identified with the world esoterically is wicked that is they're not being who they are and you got a problem with the words just ignore the words and go for the meaning try and do that if you can't do that you probably shouldn't be listening you should probably listen to something else that is not so challenging and that does not wound your self love so much self love can be very nasty when it's wounded 
And I hope you never get to find out just how nasty it can be. Now, as we're talking about, we can imagine life to which there's no end and imagine our own death in a far-off future. We're dimly aware of healthy and unhealthy food, but we're more alert about poison due to the danger involved with ingesting it. So you know that if you see a skull and crossbones on something, that you don't want to eat that. But the unfortunate thing is, is there are foods that are poisonous to us, and there is no skull and crossbones on them. You have to figure it out for yourself. Now, you may be thinking about outer foods, the foods of air, water, and the substances that we eat, that we ingest in our bodies, that we digest to keep our bodies going, cheeseburgers and Pepsis and excuse me, diet Pepsis and air would be smog. So we have those things that we're eating all the time, and we know that there can be a healthy effect or an unhealthy effect. But as I said, we're dimly aware of that. Now, some people have given more of their time and attention to it. They have directed more force in that area, and so they are more aware of what supports their body and what supports their work and what doesn't. Some people think that they can transgress the laws of the universe with impunity, and eventually it catches up with them. They start to have body parts taken out of them. They start to become unhealthy, and their internal organs cease functioning properly, and they end up becoming sick. These are facts. This is nothing new. These are facts. You know that if you eat poisonous food, you will be poisoned in one way or another. And as I said, we're dimly aware of healthy and unhealthy food, but we're much more alert about poison. If we see the skull and crossbones on it, probably we're not going to eat it. Unfortunately, we don't always see the skull and crossbones on things. I'm going to talk about different kinds of foods. As you know, the work uses outer things to point to an internal world unavailable to the five senses. So when the work talks about food in an outer way, it's going to try and lead you to understand food in an inner way. And food in an inner way is impressions. Impressions are not easily understood as food to people who are worldly, that is, people who have their attention turned out to the world through the five senses. You have to develop an internal observing eye before you can begin to see impressions, before you can begin to see the effect that they're having on you, where you let them go, and what they do once they're there. But basically the work teaches that impressions are food indeed, just like air is, just like water is, and just like solid food is that we go and prepare and eat. When we speak of food, we can speak of ordinary food, as I said, smog, Diet Pepsi, cheeseburgers, and use it to point to how our internal world is nourished or poisoned. It may seem extreme to you to say nourished or poisoned, but actually it is the truth. What we ingest either serves us, it either gives us energy, or it takes energy away from us. It either makes us stronger or it makes us weaker in some way. Those of you who have ever tested uh, with kinesiology certain foods, Understand that there are certain foods that your body, your body, not anyone else's body, but your body are weakened by and other foods that your body are strengthened by and you need to know what these are. But now we're going to talk about not just those things. The work assigns numerical designators for the different substances into which, say, a cheeseburger, for example, must be transformed to pass through the bloodstream. It's pretty clear that you're not going to go buy a cheeseburger 
and eat it with the box and wrapper on it. Take it out of the box, you peel the wrapper back, and then you start to put it in your mouth and chew it. You don't swallow it whole, you have to chew it. That becomes part of the digestive process where you masticate the food and break the coarse substances down into finer substances. You mix saliva with it, which has enzymes in it, and it starts to actually digest the food while it's in your mouth. So the first part of digestion is the mastication and the mixing of saliva or the enzymes that are in your saliva. Then it goes into the stomach. The stomach in the work is basically called the middle compartment in a three-story factory. So it's like you have this three-story chemical factory that your body is. And so the middle compartment is the stomach. This is where the food goes. But also, remember that the work is also pointing towards something esoterically as well. It's pointing toward a psychological three-story house that the work says that you are. I'm going to try and take this slowly because there are a lot of numbers, and the numbers can be confusing for some people. For other people, the numbers will be everything. The cheeseburger that we're talking about comes into the body as H768. Well, of course, it's not just cheeseburgers. If it's a salad or if it's a steak or if it's a falafel or, or a pancake or whatever it is, in the work it's called H768. You don't have to have the H in there, but it's how it's designated. H stands for hydrogen. There are terms that are used in the work are hydrogen, carbon, and oxygen, the same as letters are used in math formulae and equations. There are letters used. X stands is a symbol for the unknown. N is a symbol for something else. I is a symbol for something else. And so we have these symbols in the work, and they represent something. You don't have to know what they are, but if you want to, you can search it out. I'll give you a little taste of it, and you can decide what you want to do with it. Mostly I'm interested in the practical aspect of this, not so much with the intellectual business about it, which a lot of people really enjoy. They like to get all of the numbers right and the letters right, and they feel like they've accomplished something. And they have. They've accomplished strengthening the intellectual center in a way and putting things in the intellectual center when they can stay there in that memory. They have a way of kind of expanding and uh, puffing you up so that you can be a little more proud because you know more intellectually than other people know. And that becomes something that we call work, but isn't work. It's really just imagination, pride, and vanity. But as I said, you know, I don't really want to pick at that now, but you should know that. You should at least have that in your mind, that this is what the work teaches. This is not James Parkinson saying this. This is what the work teaches. So what happens is this cheeseburger or whatever portion of food it is comes into the body, and it's given the designator H768. Well, it encounters C192. C obviously is carbon. And it encounters this in the stomach. And then the H768 is transformed after this encounter with C192. It's transformed into H 384. Well, you can see by the number 768 is greater than 384. So 384 is smaller. That means it has entered your body and has become smaller. Now, what that means is that it's closer to being something that can be absorbed into the bloodstream and used for the body. As I said before, the terms used are hydrogens, carbon, and oxygen, the same way as the letters used in math. Notice the law of three also fits in here as well. Three forces are necessary for transformation just as they are needed for manifestations. You know that, for example, of all the millions and billions and gajillions of possibilities of what could happen right now, 
A spaceship could land in the street, little green men could come out, knock on the door, and invite us to go for a ride with them. What would happen from there is limited only by your ability to imagine or fear. And so that could happen. But out of all those possibilities of what could happen, very, very, very few things actually do happen. The reason being, three forces are necessary in order for any manifestation to occur. So of all the possibilities, unless there are three forces that come together at that point in time, at that space, then that won't happen. It's the same thing with the transformation. You have to have hydrogen, carbon, and oxygen all present at the same time in the same place in order to have a transformation. As I said, this is kind of theoretical and kind of heady, so just bear with me on this and I'll get to something a little more practical. The food comes in as passive substance, and it's acted upon by an active substance called carbon. Just a cheeseburger, you know, it's not doing anything, it's just a cheeseburger. And it will remain just a cheeseburger until it is touched by an active force, which in this case we are calling C-192, carbon-192. Whether these figures or, or things are arbitrary or not, it doesn't really matter. You could call it anything you wanted, I guess, but the work tries to have a consistent language to make it more scientific and to make it something that we can understand properly without going too far afield, as it were, with imagination. So, Morris Nichols says, if a man starts from the idea that he can do, no psychotransformism is possible. And this is easily understood if you believe that you can do. If you start from the idea that you can do, or that you're fully awake, or that you have a permanent eye, or that you are one. If you start from that idea, no transformation is possible. You cannot reach the possibility of your psychological evolution coming from that place. You have to come from a different place in order to reach that possibility of transformation. So this is the premise. And for us, it's a good idea to remember this because it's very necessary as we move on. So 768 comes in passively, acted upon by active 192. It passes from 768 into 384. Then it's acted upon again, transforming 384 to 192. And then it's acted upon again in the body, and again it is transformed into 96. So you can see it goes from 768, 384, 192 to 96. This is basically the formula for digestion. All this takes place in three compartments that the work calls chemical laboratories, called a three-story house. The low, the middle, and the upper stories of the house. If the middle compartment or floor is negative, it's as if the laboratory is waterlogged or saturated with poison, and the process at that point goes astray, and no development is possible. So now what we're doing is we're shifting gears here, and we're moving from the exoteric to the esoteric. So you need to move with the meaning of this so that you don't get hung up in the words, but so you start to look for the meaning now. This is a crucial stage for us if we're going to understand this properly. No development is possible. Now we're talking about the development of the food so that it can be used by the body, so that it can enter the bloodstream. But we're also talking about the development of your psychology so that you can reach finer states 
as the substances are refined to become finer and finer through each stage of transformation, which we'll talk about in a little bit, how that happens. We've only talked about the physical. We'll talk about the psychological as well. First, I wanted to set up the physical so that we can see that, and then we'll make the jump over to the psychological. But unless you can do that, no development is possible internally. The effects to the physical body are obvious. If you do not digest your food properly, you will get sick. You will not be nourished. You will have to eat more. And if you're not digesting it properly, you're not going to get the nutrients that you need to nourish your body. Your body will begin to fail as long as that goes on. So it's important for your digestive process to be properly aligned. And if your digestive system isn't working properly, you've got problems, real problems. Just like if your circulatory system isn't working properly, or if your nervous system isn't working properly, or if your muscular system isn't working properly, then you have problems. Now, the result will be internally sickness as well as blocking further development. So what will happen? is first of all, the obvious thing is you'll get physically sick. Your body will get sick. But what we don't understand is that internally we will also get sick and that sickness will block our further development or the possibility of man's psychological evolution. The body can't use the cheeseburger properly and the internal body can't use the substance as thought. So unless the impressions coming in are transformed to a higher, finer substance, they cannot be used for thought. And if they can't be used for thought, then we're stuck with the inability to direct our thoughts. And then our thoughts are just mechanical because we don't have the force necessary to direct our thoughts. So basically what the work says is that the substance can't be used as thought. If our middle laboratory is ruled by negative emotions, We'll get food poisoning, and it will also weaken us internally, making wrong connections, and eventually leading to some very bad, very violent states internally. We'll have some examples about this a little bit later. The work then becomes about purifying the middle story or the middle laboratory where the food of impressions are received. So you know if you've got a bad stomach that it's not going to digest your food. So if you've got a bad middle story where the impressions come in, you know also that you're not going to be able to digest the food of impressions. And if you can't digest the food of impressions and transform that food into higher forces and higher substances, then it cannot nourish your internal body, your psychological body. So the work becomes about purifying this middle story where the food of impressions are received. But that's not enough. Each time that we indulge in and enjoy our negative emotions, there's a mass assault on us, both physically and psychologically. Now, as an example, I would like to give you something that happens in South America. There's a certain kind of parrot in South America that lives in a certain place, and the only food that it has available to it are poisonous berries. Now, scientists and naturalists who were observing these parrots saw them eating the poison berries. They knew the berries were poison, but they didn't understand why the berries didn't kill the parrots. But as they observed the parrots over a period of time, they observed that the parrots would also fly to this place where there was clay. And what they would do is they would eat the clay. Well, the clay would draw the poisons out of the berries, out of food that they had ingested, it would draw the poisons out, then the poisons were passed as they were drawn into the clay. 
Anyone who knows a little bit about nutrition or even um, what do they call that when you put on makeup and stuff, masks and things like that, women will put on masks. Well, there is often clay in those masks. And what it does is it pulls things out of the skin. You know that the skin is the largest organ in your body. It's the biggest organ in your body. And it excretes. And so the clay pulls and helps the poisons to be drawn out of the body and the impurities to be drawn out of the body. So a woman who puts a clay mask on her face, and of course it's a wet clay mask, what it does is it dries, it pulls all of these impurities out of the body, and then when you wash it off, you wash away all the impurities with the clay. So that's basically how it works, and that's what's happening with these parrots that I'm talking about and the poisonous berries that they eat. You've heard that negative emotions always lead down to violence. Now, the violence is first against our internal psychology, but then it manifests also in external illness. If you are hateful and bitter and angry and mean-spirited and jealous and owed long enough, not only does it make your face pinch up and make you look a certain way, it also begins to contract in your body, contract your organs, and it will make you sick. Ripley's Believe It or Not. So I offer it to you as a teaching in the work. You can believe it or not, or you can verify it yourself. But Gurdjieff was a proponent of most diseases that man is heir to are psychosomatic. If you don't like that, then that's your business. I'm just offering you what the work teaches. This is not my opinion. These are not my ideas. I'm just telling you what the work teaches It makes sense to me. I have been able to verify it in my own laboratory, my own body, and I'm satisfied that it's true. But if you would like to become satisfied that it's true, you will have to do the same work that Gurdjieff did and that everyone else did who began to realize in their own body that it was true. That's up to you. Our work then becomes twofold. We must work diligently to purify the emotional center, which has become infested, polluted with negative emotions through the action of sleep, old associations, and habits laid down mechanically by us as we acquire these things in life. You're born awake into a room full of sleeping people. Those sleeping people begin almost immediately to behave in a mechanical way. And what we do is by imitation, we slowly get more and more sleep until finally we are behaving just like them and we are asleep and mechanical just like them. That's how it works. The job of the work then and your job is to begin to awaken to this. In order to awaken, you have to have new ideas, new knowledge, and you have to apply those ideas because new knowledge is pointless, useless, unless you can apply it to yourself. And through that application, something else forms in you called understanding. So by applying the new knowledge in the proper way, something else happens and the force of understanding is created in you. Once the force of understanding is created in you, you start to make proper connections. Once you start to make proper connections, your machine begins to hum along better, begins to work better. When that's possible, you then have more energy. If you use that energy to work, Instead of just squander it on negative emotions, you can develop. If you continue to squander it on negative emotions, you won't develop. You'll stay put for a while, and then you'll begin to slide back. No, there's no staying put forever and treading water. You either start to go down, or you continue to go up. You either remain on an ascending octave, or you fall back into a descending octave, and you start going back down. 
We don't we really want to talk about how far you go down or where you go. We know that we're here under 48 orders of law, but we also know that we can, through negative emotions, fall and get even in a worse place under 96 orders of laws where everything is negative, everything is violent, everything is dark, everything is crazy, and the possibility of evolution becomes even more difficult, if not impossible. In fact, I will say impossible. From 96, evolution is impossible. You can't get help under 96 orders of laws. The only place you can get help is higher up. So you've got to get to that place. You've got to get to a certain place before help can reach you. That's what the work teaches. I personally am not so sure about that. I'm not so sure it's that cut and dried. So I'm not really willing to throw my lot in with that just yet. What I do want to say is that's what the work teaches. And it's a pretty good rule of thumb. So it's not going to hurt you to go by that until you find out a little bit more about it. Now, some time must be spent diligently cleaning the emotional center through proper meditation and self-observation. So that would be like eating the clay, grounding ourselves in the truth, in the work ideas, like that. So another way of saying that is, let's say you take in this food. Let's say that because you have always taken this food in in a certain way, that it falls on little mechanical negative parts of centers, and it begins to poison you. And your job is to eat the clay. In this instance, the clay is going to be represented by the work ideas. You, you bring the work ideas up to where the food is coming in, and you extract the poison from the food. In other words, you keep the impressions from going into the little negative parts of centers, and then you thereby can transform the impressions into something that you can actually use that will help you to work or that will potentially increase your internal body, just in the same way that nourishing food increases or enhances your physical body, nourishes your physical body. Now, I'd like to share with a parable, a story from Esoteric Writings. It comes from Matthew chapter 12, verses 43 through 45. And I will explain this to you so that if you have a problem with it, at least you'll be able to look at it in a different way and maybe get rid of the problem. Now, when the unclean spirit goes out of a man, it passes through waterless places, seeking rest, and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes... It finds it unoccupied, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and takes along with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the last state of that man becomes worse than the first. So let's take a look at this esoterically now, because obviously it's the language of parables, and we have pretty much lost our ability to speak the language of parables. So let me act as a translator for you now. And maybe you'll be able to access this deeper meaning. So an unclean spirit. Well, an unclean spirit could be a spirit of jealousy, could be a spirit of anger, could be, we could say, we could change the word spirit and use the word state if we wanted to. We could change the word spirit and use the word thought or negative emotion if we wanted to. So an unclean spirit could be a negative emotion or it could be a combination of negative emotions and negative thoughts. So that is unclean and then what it does is it pollutes the middle compartment. It pollutes the emotional center in our case. Now, our emotional center is already polluted, but it can get worse. And if it can get worse, it can also get better. The work wants it to get better. So what we're being asked to do is cleanse it so that it gets better 
and then we can start to create the forces that we need that will help us to transform, to develop, to raise our level of being, our state of consciousness, and to go with better eyes and live in better states. Now, it's interesting that the unclean spirit goes out and then it passes through waterless places. Now, you know that water represents the second level of truth. And so now this unclean spirit passes through waterless places. In other words, here's this state in you, this jealousy or anger or fear or some negative state. And if it doesn't get the truth mixed with it, if it doesn't get to water, then it passes through that seeking rest and doesn't find it. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. When it comes, it finds it unoccupied, swept and put in order. In other words, we got rid of the state, but we didn't put anything in its place to ensure that that unclean spirit, which of course is the negative emotion, we didn't put anything in place so that it can come back. When it does come back, what almost always happens is it finds everything wide open, unoccupied, swept, and put in order. It goes out, takes along with it seven other spirits, more wicked than itself, so seven other negative states, more wicked than the original negative state. They go in and live there, and the state of the emotional center becomes worse than it was at first. So this is how the work would look at this parable. This is how the work does look at this parable. And so I'm giving you the opportunity to look at it the same way. We'll give some examples. It's not enough to sweep out and order the emotional center, obviously. We must then become vigilant against negative emotions, since even the slightest will lead rapidly down to violence. Now, in Proverbs, chapter 23, verses 1 through 3, it's written, When you sit down to dine with a ruler, consider carefully what is before you, and put a knife to your throat, if you are a man of great appetite. Do not desire his delicacies, for it is deceptive food. Now, I want you to pay special attention to this. A ruler, if you have ever been swept away by anger, you know that you're being ruled by anger. So you're sitting down with a ruler. If you've ever been swept away by jealousy, you know that you're being ruled by something over which you have no power. If you have ever observed yourself at all in a negative state, you have observed you can be powerless over the negative state, that it sweeps you away and there's nothing you can do. You can't control your tongue. You can't control your actions. It takes everything you have, if you have anything, to control yourself so that you don't go to jail for doing something very very violent, stupid, and negative when you become negative. If you know that, great. If you don't know that, observe yourself. That's the only way you're ever going to find out. Now, we have that. Now, if you sit down to dine with a ruler, in other words, if you sit down to dine, to eat, to take in impressions with some negative state, with some negative emotion, says, this is interesting here. I find this very interesting. Consider carefully what is before you. So look carefully. In other words, observe this negative state. Observe it. Observe the thoughts that go with it. Observe the gesticulations and the facial expressions that go with it. Become aware of all that you can become aware of it. Consider it carefully. Consider carefully what is before you. Consider carefully what it's going to cost you to eat this. Consider carefully what it's going to cost you to involve yourself in this negative state. Now it also says, and put a knife to your throat if you are a man of great appetite. Now let's face it, some of us are people of great appetite when it comes to certain negative states. There are some people who are so fearful that fear sweeps them away almost every turn in life. There are other people who are not bothered so much by fear in that way, but they're bothered a great deal by jealousy. 
There are some people who are not bothered by jealousy at all, but by internal considering. They think what other people think of them is paramount and the most important thing, and they're swept away by that. They lose themselves in that. So what this is saying now is consider carefully what is before you and put a knife to your throat if you're a man of great appetite. So if you're driving down the road and someone cuts in front of you and you usually scream and yell and rant and rave and become full of road rage, then consider carefully what is before you. Put a knife to your throat. What does a knife do? Well, we talked last week about pairing. Do you remember that? We talked about disparity and about the Latin word and where it came from and to pair. So you take a knife and you cut away one part and you leave another part. You'll also remember Jesus said, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword to divide. A man's enemies will be the enemies of his own household to divide, to put us odds, father and son, and so on and so forth. So this is what the knife represents in this language of esotericism. So the knife represents now, when you sit down, consider carefully what this state is going to cost you. Put a knife to your throat. If you have great appetite, put a knife to your throat. Do not let it come in. Pair it away. Do not let the negative state in. Do not desire his delicacies. Whose delicacies? The ruler, who is that negative state or that negative emotion that you get into that sweeps you away. And then finally, for it is deceptive food. I promise you it is deceptive food. And what that means is that negative emotion will poison you if you don't put a knife to your throat and cut it away before you ingest it. That's how I take that. So then let's put it in practical terms. Do you listen to gossip? And what that means is, do you have a critical eye? Do you enjoy a good story about another person? Yesterday, we stopped at a filling station. And as we were filling the car with diesel, I looked up and there were, oh, there must have been 10 or 15, maybe even 20 tabloids that were out in front of the store for the filling station. And I noticed bold headlines on one of the tabloids and it said, Princess Diana Death Film. And I was moved with such grief by the fact that there would be people who would be buying that and wanting to watch this Princess Diana death film. And I thought, how sad that is that here are these tabloids pandering to people's negative emotions. In other words, feeding people poison. Remember what we started this off with? A master has said we are like children who eat poison, get a stomach ache, and cry for more. So what we're talking about now is people who read these tabloids and who get negative, they get a stomach ache from it, they get sick from it, but then they cry for more. They crave more of the same thing. You'll see them back at that newsstand for the next tabloid, for the next negative story, for the next salacious story, for the next whatever twisted story that feeds us these negative emotions or poison us. That's an example of what I'm talking about. Do you believe it? Because you read it in the paper. Do you believe it because a friend of yours said that it's so? Do you believe it because your intuition, which is usually no more than imagination with most of us, tipped you off? What you seek, you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. Ask, and you will receive. Well, what you seek, you will find. And if you're looking for poison, you will find it. If you go anywhere, you go to the filling station, you go to the Internet, you can go anywhere, you can find poison. You can find stories. You can find baseless accusations. You can find these things. And if you do, and you eat them, you ingest them, you're going to poison yourself. You can knock on a door. 
<laughs> Whatever door you knock on, that's the door that's going to open to you. If you're knocking on a door to negative emotions, then negative emotions are going to come to the door. If you're knocking on the door of truth, then the truth is going to come to the door. It's up to you which door you knock on. It's up to you where you seek. And finally, it's up to you what you ask for. If you're asking to be right, if you're asking for agreement, if you're negative and you're looking for agreement, I promise you, you will find it. And when you do, you will end up poisoning yourself. And when you end up poisoning yourself, you will stop any possibility of internal development and transformation. And then eventually, you will also make yourself sick physically. This is what the work teaches. This is the kind of poison that I'm talking about. You light up an instant.